You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. So I would suppose this morning that if there's anything that I could say uh, that I would want you to walk away with is, I guess, to realize how significant and how important you are. Um, as we continue on in the story of Esther, we're going to really see uh, the, the power of one. Uh, we, we talked about God's providence at work, and we see that all throughout the story of Esther, but also we're going to see how God chose one person and used them really to change the course of history. And the same is true of each and every person in this room, that God has chosen you, and um, he wants you to partner with him, uh, that you, you bring to the world something in your oneness that can cause you to make a difference in your community, uh, in your neighborhood, uh, uh, shape the culture, uh, actually change the world uh, because of who you are and who he's made you to be. And we're going to see that as we continue on uh, into the, in the, to the story of Esther. In 1968, the, the band Three Dog Night uh, released a song, and the song was called One is the Loneliest. And the lyrics went, one is the loneliest number uh, that you'll ever do. Um, some of you are shaking your head. I say, you remember that, that song. You might be dating yourself just a little bit. Um, but uh, while uh, one can give the perception and oftentimes does give the perception of loneliness, I think what's important for us to remember today is that there is great significance Uh, There is great power, as I've already said, in one, that one has the ability to change the course of history. Let me give you a few examples. You know, oftentimes in election season, like we've just had, in which I think we're probably all glad that we're past, um, we we hear, uh, we're reminded of the importance that one vote can make. So listen to this. In 1645, one vote made Oliver Cromwell uh, ruler or prime minister uh, over um, all of England. In uh, 1649, one vote caused King Charles I to be executed. In 1776, get this, one vote gave America the English language instead of German. We could all be speaking German today. That's pretty, one, one vote. In um, 1845, it was one vote that brought Texas into the Union. Could you imagine a United States without Texas? It was one vote that brought Texas into the Union. In um, 1876, it was one vote that gave Rutherford B. Hayes the presidency. And listen to this, in 1923, it was one vote that gave Adolf Hitler control of the Nazi party. There is great power in the number one, and it literally has the ability to change the course of history. These are all examples of that. I want to tell you one more story. It's the story of Jeremiah Lamphere. Um, Jeremiah Lamphere uh, lived in the 1800s. Uh, one morning, I think it was about 1846, he was reading the morning newspaper, and as he was reading, he became very distressed as he read because he was reading about the panic and the anxiety, the fear that had seized the nation because the nation at that time was in a very downward economy. It was in a time of depression. Um, factories were closing, and literally thousands and thousands of people were losing their jobs. Um, uh, Jeremiah was not a high-powered businessman. In fact, he was just employed as a, as a clerk. 
but the one thing that set him apart was his faith in Jesus Christ. And he decided he wanted to use that faith to do something. As one person, he wanted to use his faith to do something that would make a difference. So uh, he sent a note, notes out to all of his fellow businessmen, business associates, telling them of a prayer meeting that would begin to happen in his office beginning the next day. Uh, he invited them all to it. The next day came, and with great anticipation, Jeremiah set up a circle of 20 chairs in his office, and no one came. But Jeremiah sat down in the circle of chairs, and he prayed. He prayed for our country. The next day, a few of his friends joined him. The next day, more. And the next day, more, until all 20 chairs were filled. And then what began to happen in New York City is those, that small prayer meeting began to spread, and suddenly there was a prayer meeting of all places on Wall Street taking place, and then William Street, and then on Broadway. But it didn't stop there. Those group of prayer meetings began to spread across the country. And all over the nation, these small prayer groups happening at noon uh, among business people were, were occurring. And it's said that these prayer meetings actually turned the moral tone of our country all through the power of prayer. And some historians would say that it was because of those prayers that the economic situation during that season turned. And it was all because of the power of one. One man set out to make a difference, and he did. Um, it's very easy to underestimate uh, the value of one, the value of one of how it can shape. God can use one person to shape a culture, uh, to change a community, or to change the course of history, but it is possible. In fact, the Bible is a treasure filled with these kinds of stories. Um, the Bible is filled with real-life, true stories of uh, divine interventions, of miraculous occurrences, of um, uh, changed lives, all because of one person who was willing to be obedient. And um, it wasn't because they were perfect. Uh, it was simply because they were willing that God used them. All God wanted was their willingness. Here, let me give you kind of the roll call, some of the roll call of those men and women who were used. Among those would be Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Rahab, Ruth, David, Elisha, Elijah, Jeremiah, and then we find ourselves in the New Testament to name a few. John the Baptist, Jesus, of course, Paul, Peter. And not to be excluded from the list is the focus of our study, Esther, that God was willing to use one willing, obedient woman to literally change the course of history. Um, because of one person, because of Queen Esther and God's providence, her willingness, uh, she became queen. And it was all for the sake and the survival of the Jewish people. So this morning we want to continue on with, this, with the story of Esther. Last week you had kind of a flyover, an overview. And this morning we're going to focus more in chapter uh, 4. But in order for us to really know what's happening in chapter 4, we have to go back to chapter 3. So I want to take just a moment and I want to paraphrase. I want to kind of retell the story of chapter 3. It becomes kind of the platform for what happens in chapter 4. And then we'll, we're going to focus on chapter 4 for a few minutes. And then we're going to say, okay, how do we take this and apply it? So... Uh, 
when you, when you begin to read chapter 3, and hopefully you've been reading along in Esther uh, this week, so you could just be familiar with the story, one of the things that you begin to realize quite quickly is that there's an ongoing conflict in chapter 3, and it's between Mordecai and Haman. Um, <clears throat> Mordecai, uh, this godly Jewish man, knows how to get the best of Haman. He knows how to get him all riled up. He knows how to get under his dandruff. He knows how to make this man mad, angry, crazy like like no other person. And it's all because he refuses to bow down to him. If you remember, Haman um, was the second most important man in the king's court in all the provinces. The king had issued an edict saying that... uh, that, uh, Haman was really second in command. He was very powerful. He was very influential. And along with that edict, uh, the king had said, when you see Haman, you are to bow down before him. The problem with that is that Mordecai said, "Uh uh-uh, I am not going to bow down to that creep. I I know him. I know what he's all about. And and you won't read that in the scripture. That's my paraphrase part of it. in version. Uh, but in my imagination, Haman, uh, Mordecai says, I will not bow down. You can't make me. The palace officials began to, um, who are near the gate and noticing this, they begin to question him. Mordecai, why won't you bow down? The king's edict is you are supposed to bow down to him. You could die because you don't bow down to him. Why is it that you won't bow down? And the scripture doesn't really tell us. Uh, it, Mordecai doesn't necessarily give a reason other than that he just says he refused to bow down. And every time that Haman passed Mordecai and he didn't bow down, he became so angry that in his anger, in his rage, he determined, oh, you know what? One of the things that the, the, the palace officials did find was that Mordecai was a Jew. And they passed that information on to Haman. So in Haman's anger, he determined, because Haman was a hater of the Jewish people, he determined that it was not enough that uh, Mordecai would be killed, but instead that the entire Jewish race within all of the provinces should be put to death. He came up with a plan. He came up with a plan that on such and such day that all of the Jewish people in all of the provinces would be put to death. He took his plan to the king and the king bought into it. The king actually issued an edict that said on such and such day, all of the Jewish people in all the provinces will be put to death. There was just one problem. Esther had never told the king that she was a Jew. And that meant unless someone intervened, that Esther would lose her life too. And Mordecai knew this. And that's where we find ourselves now in chapter 4. Mordecai finds out about uh, Haman's plan. And when he finds out, he goes into full-on mourning. I mean, everything. He... Uh, sackcloth, ashes, he rips his clothes. He, it's like uh, the uh, professional mourner, except this was really heartfelt compassion. He began to wail and he began to mourn. And in that, um, as, as someone noticed him, uh, they recognized that there was some kind of relationship between Queen Esther and Mordecai. And so uh, they, they got message to, to Queen Esther, something's wrong with Mordecai. Um, and so in her ability or her desire to try to comfort him, you see, 
the problem with Queen Esther is she was, um, she was guarded, uh, she was cut off from the world by the palace walls. She would have not have had any idea what was going out in, uh, on out in the community. She, she just had no idea. So there was no way that she would have known of, of Haman's plan. Uh, so innocently, she says, I'm not sure what's going on with Mordecai. Again, you won't read this, but it's in my story. Uh, uh, so she sent him fresh clothes. Uh, maybe she was trying to mother him. You know, maybe a fresh, maybe a shower and some clean clothes will help you out. When Mordecai received the clothing, he, he said, "No, that that's not going to help. That's not going to take the problem away." So he sends, by way of messenger, in the midst of his mourning, he sends a message back to to Queen Esther, and he says, um, uh, "Here's the deal." An edict has been issued that we're going to be... He actually sent the document that had the king's edict on it. And so she read it for the first time. And he said, I'm urging you, I'm begging with you, I'm pleading with you that you will go before the king and you will ask for help on behalf of your people. She sends a message back to, to Mordecai. And um, she says something like, Mordecai, I don't think you really know what you're talking about. I don't think you realize what you're asking you see, you don't just walk into the king's uh, room and say, hey, you, you want to shoot the breeze for a while? You, you want to talk? I have some things I'd love to download to you. Um, she's, she's saying, you don't go before the king unless you're summoned to come before him. And if you go before the king without being summoned, you may very well die. In fact, that's what's supposed to happen is you die if you go before the king uh, b- without being summoned. She says, that's not very good. It's not what I'm looking for. To and she said, besides, I haven't been summoned by the king for 30 days. It's been a long time since I talked to him. So that's the message she sends to, to uh, Mordecai. And I want to read you Mordecai's response from chapter uh, 4, beginning in verse 12. It says, When Esther's words were, re- were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go. Gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. So here's what we have in her response. Uh, in response to Mordecai, because he's saying, use your royal position, leverage your position, because who knows, maybe it's even for this reason that you've been placed where you are. So her word back to him is, um, okay, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go before the king, but I won't go until I've done spiritual warfare. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to go until I've spent three days and three nights fasting and praying. And here's what I believe she was thinking, that in those three days of prayer and fasting, that she was going to call out to God and she was going to ask for favor. And she was going to call out to God and she was going to ask for wisdom. And I believe that she had faith to believe that in her calling out to God, that he would speak, that he would give her a strategy, he would give her favor in order for her to go before the king, that God was at work. 
She said, uh, so I, I'm going to pray for three days and three nights. I'm going to have all of my attendants join me in that. But I don't want to do it by myself. Uh, and so I want you, uh, Mordecai, I want you to go out and I want you to get a prayer chain going. Um, I want you to contact all, I want you to get word to all the Jews in all the provinces that for three days and the three nights, they are to join the queen in fasting and prayer. And at the end of those three days, I'm going to go before the king. And knowing what's coming next week, it's right there that I'm just going to put a pause. I'm not going to finish the story because I know what we're focusing on next week. However, I will give you a spoiler alert. Um, she prays and she fasts for three days. God gives her a strategy. She goes before the king. She does find favor. And in the end, the Jews win. Okay? But we'll talk about that next week. Um, so what? So last week we had an overview of Esther. And so this week we dive really into kind of the, the heart of the story where the conflict is. Um, Thus far, with what we've learned about Esther, what can we take and what can we apply to ourselves? In other words, what can we start walking out in as soon as we leave this place today? You see, God has called... Here's what we know about Esther. Esther was a young uh, Jewish orphan girl who became queen for the sake and the survival of her people. It was through God's providence that this happened. And... um, God chose her simply because she was willing. Esther went from being a nobody to being a somebody and then being a servant in God's plan. That's really our story, quite honestly. We were lost. We were nothing. And then we found Jesus. Jesus found us. And we, we received new life. We became new creations in Christ. And so we began, became citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And suddenly we have this identity that really means something. Uh, but along with that, God has called and is calling us to be servants in his plan because the world is in great need. So what does that mean? What we learn about Esther is Esther was willing to be a difference maker. So how do we take that and apply it to our life? I'm going to give you four things this morning. Um, uh, what does it mean to be a difference maker? Well, first of all, in order to be a difference maker, you have to care enough to get involved. You have to care enough to get involved. In, in the story today, it really starts in, in uh, verse 1 of chapter 4. Um, Mordecai cared so much that he went into a time of mourning. Um, and he was very... Uh, Loud. He was very uh, intense in his in, in his mourning because, uh, but the compassion that was deep inside of him, had Mordecai not have cared enough to to go into mourning, Esther would have never known that there was a problem. Because remember again, she was sheltered by the walls of the palace, and it was because he cared that she cared, uh, and um, she 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 wanted to get involved, and so she sent. And let me read to you. Um, when Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth and ashes, and he went into the city wailing and louding bitterly. And then in verse 5, it says um, that then Esther summoned Hatchhok, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. Um, that would have never happened if Mordecai hadn't cared enough. And so we have to care enough to get involved. Um, 
I think for me, the application right now is uh, there are so many things happening in our society right now. Um, the news is not good news, right? Uh, despite what you think about the news, we don't hear many good things. And so this week uh, in, in Southern California, we heard about a shooting. Uh, uh, that shooting happened very near the home where we used to live when we lived in Southern California. We know the place very well. And um, 12 people, 12 people were, uh, were killed. Um, and while that city of Thousand Oaks, Newberry Park, uh, was in that time of mourning, um, not only is there a fire in Northern California, the Northern California fire has burned as of yesterday 90,000 acres, 75 structures had been um, burned to the ground, and uh, almost one entire town had been wiped out. So that's going on in Northern California. And then in Southern California, there's been this deadly shooting. Twelve people are dead. And, and then in their community, the fires break out. There, there, uh, we have many friends in that area who have had to evacuate their homes so it hits home close to us. Uh, uh, fortunately, they haven't lost their homes. But, but the point I'm trying to make is there was a catastrophe, devastating. And then there was another. And then you know what I was told this morning? There was an earthquake in Southern California. Three point something. I'm not sure what's going on in Southern California, but they certainly need us to pray for them right now. But here's the point. We can hear these things so much and so often that we become numb. And in our numbness, we don't get involved. We go, oh, there was another shooting. There was another shooting at a high school in Charlotte. There was another shooting at a nightclub somewhere in the country. Oh, there's fires. There's earthquakes. People are losing their home. Oh, I think I've got to stop by the grocery store and pick up some milk. I mean, those things have to happen. But what happens is we're hearing it so much that we can become numb. And so we fail to get involved. And if we're going to make a difference, we have to be willing to get involved. And if we're going to get involved, we have to get informed. And that's really the second point. Um, in order to be a difference maker, you have to be motivated to get informed. Um, again, Esther, she knew Mordecai was in mourning, and she wasn't sure why. So what did she do? She sent someone to say, Mordecai. What's going on? In other words, inform me. I, I, I know you're upset about something. Inform me. I, I, I need to know. You know, her, her response could have been, that Mordecai, he's so dramatic. He just makes a mountain out of a molehill. Everything's a big deal to him. He's like the boy who cried wolf. When can you believe him? You know, I'm sure that he, I don't know what's going on with Mordecai, uh, but it, it'll be okay. Um, and therefore, she wouldn't have gotten involved. She wouldn't have gotten in, become informed. She could have said, I, I'm the queen of Persia right now. And I've got queen stuff to do. I've got to polish my crown and I've got to make sure my scepter's all ready to go. You know, but she didn't do any of that. She didn't do it. Instead, she took time to become informed so that she could take action. She wanted to know what was going on. Again, I think that we become so numb to what's going on in our world that we actually say, I can't take any more. I, I, I and sometimes we do have to turn the news off. But uh, I, I just can't hear about this anymore. And while I can understand that, we still have to find a way to be informed about the right things at the right time. Because here's the deal. 
when you and I, if you have come into relationship with Jesus Christ, remember your life changed and your mission changed at that point. And so you, you change citizenship. We change citizenships. We were citizens of the kingdom of this world, which we still are, but we became citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so our mission changed. And it's even as we pray the Lord's prayer, it says, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Our mission is to bring the kingdom of God down to earth. Uh, what happens or what our mission is, is that as those who have Jesus Christ within us, we're actually supposed to shape the culture around us. But what happens instead is far too often we've allowed the culture to shape us. Uh, even worse, we've allowed the culture to shape the church. The church often, and I, when I say the church, I'm talking about the church at large, has lost sight of the mission that we've been called to, that we are salt and light, that we are called to make a difference, that we are to go out and boldly proclaim the message of Jesus Christ because that's what the world is missing. But if we are uninformed or if we're numb, we, we won't, we'll tend not to do that. Difference makers don't shield themselves from the outside world. They become informed. And there are many ways to do it. I'm not going to tell you how, but we, we have to become informed. Here's the third thing. In order to be a difference maker, you have to have courage if you're going to act. You have to have courage. Um, we saw with Queen Esther that she realized that to go before the king unsummoned would, could very well be her death. Um, but in the midst of the danger of death, um, she was courageous. And, and she said, okay, I'm going to go, and if I perish, I'll perish. But I'm going to take action. I know what's going on, uh, and I'm, I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to risk. I'm, I'm going to risk it uh, because maybe I have been called for such a time as this. Maybe my royal position is all about the salvation of the Jews right now. And so she, she, she's willing to do that. Um, in the mission that you and I have been called to, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, children of God, and and as the world continues to increase in all that's going on, um, our mission will become harder and harder. I think we've been seeing that, right? uh, There's a greater pushback against Christianity than ever before. And so uh, as we we navigate through this, we're going to find that it's going to come with greater and greater risk. But that can't stop us. We've still been called to be salt and light. And we've still been called to make a difference. And so we have to determine, are we, going to, are we willing to be courageous? Uh, difference makers are willing to act even when great risks are involved. And here's the last one. In order to make a difference, you have to engage in the endeavor. You have to engage in the endeavor. So here's the deal. Um, we can pray, and that's good. We need to. We can talk to other people about the problems and situation, and, and I think that that's okay too, as long as it takes us down a good path. So we can pray, we can talk, uh, we can strategize. Um, I think it's good to have a strategy of how to uh, infiltrate the, the, the culture. Um, we can do all those things, but at some point you have to move out and take action. You have to engage in, in what's happening. And if you don't engage, then we can't, we can't make a difference. And so we can't just talk. We can't just pray. We can't just strategize. But we have to be intentional and move out, encourage, and do something. We have to do something. So with that, uh, here's what I want to leave you with. God is not so much interested in our ability as he is our availability. 
as we are willing to embrace God's direction, he does the improbable and impossible through our lives. And the question that I want to ask you this morning is, where is the one place or what is the one thing that you as one person can make a difference in? One place, one thing, one person. What is that for you? Because it's going to be different for everybody in the room. It's going to be different for every person in the room. And with that, I pray that our response would be like this. I am only one, but still, I am one. I cannot do everything, but still, I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. We can all do something to be salt in life through Jesus Christ in the world that we live in. And I, I want to challenge us to be that, to do that. Would you bow your heads as we pray? Father, we recognize that it's not about our skill, it's not about our ability, but it's about our desire, it's about our willingness, it's about our availability. God, you have made each one of us as very unique individuals. You've called us as one into a community of many ones. Uh, a community of believers. And so, Father God, I pray that you would show each one of us how you've uniquely created us and where you want us to make a difference at whatever degree, at whatever level that might be. And then I pray that we would be people who would um, become informed, who would have courage, and who would engage in action. Father God, I pray that as a, as a church, as the people here who call this their church home, the East Lincoln Campus of Grace Covenant, that we would be people who shape our culture, who shape our community, who change the course of history just because of the things that we do, great or small. So, Father God, today we commit ourselves to you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.